Let's Get Fresh, the podcast for those passionate about growing their business through the power of connection. At Fresh, we've thrown out the rule book on networking as you may know it, and we've written our own. Think more connections, less blah, and a whole lot of ooh-la-la. Get ready to explore all things networking and business under the guise of fun, as world-class guests and relatable conversations collide, resulting in education, inspiration, and growth for you. G'day everyone, welcome to episode number four of the Let's Get Fresh podcast. We've had some brilliant feedback streaming in, so thanks so much for listening. If you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome. We appreciate you and I hope that you enjoy the episode. Today I've got the world-renowned Dr. John Demartini in the hot seat with me. We have a very valuable conversation. We talk a lot about values because that is one of the things that Dr. John Demartini is renowned for. So we speak about hiring on values. We speak about scaling up business, about selling and reframing and building relationships. You are going to adore the conversation. And if you do, don't be shy. Let us know and let all of your friends know too. Hey, Darren Kelp from Travel Managers Australia is excited to be sponsoring this episode of Let's Get Fresh. Darren and his team make dreams come true 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're a mobile travel agent who are your one-stop shop for all of your personal and company travel needs. They specialize in international corporate travel, cruises, tours, and package holidays throughout Asia, United States, Canada, and Europe. With over 21 years of experience in travel, their clients feel safe and at ease knowing that all aspects of their travel are personally managed, which is so important right now with all of the disruption around the world. Remember, without a personal travel manager, you're on your own. So check out Darren. His details are in the show notes to this show and reach out to him today. Dr. John Demartini, very big welcome to the Let's Get Fresh podcast. Well, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Are you sick of me rapping on your door time and time again, reeling you into conversations? No, I, I, love, our, I love our interviews, so absolutely not. I get quite excited. I feel like I try and be respectful of your time because I think you're the busiest man on the planet and you do such amazing work, but I feel like I could get you on every day and have a fascinating conversation. So thank you so much for coming on to this show. It's a brand new show and it's very focused on stuff that I love and love learning about, which is all things business and networking, and you're going to feel a really good spot for some topics around that for us. So I want to talk about, I mean, it's your wheelhouse, all things values. I want to talk about values, personal and business values, and I'd like you to just give us a little bit of an introduction on talking about that in business because I don't think that when we get into small small and medium businesses, we really think about that before it's probably later in the piece. We sometimes overlook some very important principles that relate about values. So maybe I could introduce a couple. That would be helpful. First, nobody ever goes to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to somehow find a way of fulfilling what they value most in their life. Mm. Some people have a high value on family and children. And if they're going to work, they want to make sure they can take care of their kids. Some people have a high value on their social networking and they go to business to go to work because it helps them again pay bills but it also helps them in social interactive 
But if a, an individual cannot see how their specific job responsibilities, duties, and accountabilities, the action steps they do every day, is helping them fulfill what they value most, the top three values in their lives, they're not going to be engaged. And they're going to require motivation, incentives, extrinsic drivers to get them to consistently perform. And that's costly. I, I do a training program on values for companies. And uh, there's a little exercise we do on screening people before considering hiring them. We take the, their individual job responsibilities and job duties, and we make sure that they're very specific, not broad, big generalities, not like marketing, it's too big. But the actual daily action steps that they're going to be responsible for, the, the little action steps they do, that has to be there. And then we ask them when we're about to, a candidate is about to be hired or considered for hiring. We ask them how specifically is doing this particular job responsibility, itemized specifically, helping you fulfill what's most deeply meaningful to you. If they hesitate even a second and they have to look in their eyes to their radio stations of their mind to try to find an answer and they're not fluent in the response and they're hesitant and it doesn't seem inspired or grateful or enthusiastic or loving or uncertain or present, they're not engaged in that particular action. And if you put an X next to that, that's an indicator that that you're going to have to micromanage and push them uphill to do. Now, first, before we actually have a candidate doing this, we go through a value determination process, which people can do on my website for free and privately. Dr. Martini's value determination process, which is on drdmartini.com. If they go do that and get familiar with that and get really proficient at that, I would not recommend anybody ever hiring somebody until they've done that and do what I'm about to show. And that is to go through every job duty that they're going to be hired for and ask how specifically doing that action is going to help them fulfill what's most valuable to them, their highest values, top three values that are determined by that value determination process. If they hesitate, if they procrastinate on the answer, if they can't give you an answer that seems fluent and congruent and inspired, I guarantee you, when you hire them, they're not going to do that spontaneously. You're going to have to motivate them with incentives, rewards if you do it, punishments if you don't, which is the most inefficient thing for business. They're disengaged. The lower the engagement, the more the amygdala response, the more the immediate gratification, the more the distractions, the more the health issues, the more they go and, you know, go and take coffee breaks and sugar breaks and things to keep them alive because they're going to be disengaged and uninspired by what they're doing. So you don't ever want to hire anybody that's got a low engagement level. It's going to cost more than it's going to return. So we go through and do every one of those job duties and less 20% or 25% of them is already showing no congruency. Then I stop. I said, thank you very much. That'll be over. I don't go any further because I guarantee you that is not a hiring person. And this has nothing to do with, you know, prejudice or anything else. This is simply they're not going to be inspired by their work. And it's not fair to them to be hired that they're not inspired. Don't hire anybody that's not inspired to do the work. 
It's not going to be great to you, the company, the customer, anybody's, nobody's going to win out of a disengaged employee. So what, when, if all of a sudden they can answer that question fluently, they're engaged, <clears throat> there's a fluent, congruent answer, and they're showing enthusiasm for that. They love doing that. It's what they inspired by. It's what they dream about doing. It's what they do spontaneously on their own time. And that doesn't mean you hire them. It just means that now you've got a tick. McGregor in the 1960s said there are 30 Y people and 30 X people. 30 Y people are spontaneously inspired, engaged people. They intrinsically driven from within to do the job. And 30 X people are people you need to X off because they're having to be motivated to do it. Motivation is a symptom in a company, not a, not a solution. It's always a symptom. I don't need motivation to do what I love doing, teaching, researching, and writing every day. I do it every day. And I'm doing it for 50 years almost. So there's no need for that. When you find out what's really most important to you and you get to do that every day, you, you, don't, you tap dance to work. You can't wait to get up in the morning and go to work. People can't wait to get your service because there's an enthusiasm about you. you, you and you excel in it. Your brain filters all your sensory information in your pulvinar nuclear of your thalamus right into the cortex according to what you value most. So you're going to maximize your awareness, your learning, your retention, and your application of knowledge according to what you value most. And that's where you're going to be the most likely to pursue challenges instead of avoid them. Things that are low in your values, you want to make it easy life. You want to avoid challenge. Things on your highest value, you pursue challenges that inspire you. Like a guy, like a young boy who loves video games, the second he conquers a game, he wants to go to a more advanced game when he's really engaged. So when people are not inspired by what they do, you hire them, they're going to do the easiest thing and they're going to, they're going to do whatever is pleasurable to them, but not necessarily to the company. And they're going to take breaks. They're going to take longer breaks. They're going to get by on whatever it is minimum. I guarantee you this is, I've sat in at a restaurant one time and looked out on a little Starbucks and I saw people waiting for 45 minutes in the middle of the day during their work hours just to get coffee and then get a 20 teaspoon sugar drink to survive the doldrums of their job that they don't like, obviously, which is a symptom. So hiring people according to what they value and making sure there's congruency is an absolute essential to maximize productivity, engagement, creativity, innovation, because you're, there's a thing called intrinsic values. Whatever's highest on your value is more intrinsic and you're spontaneously love doing. Whatever's low in your values, you got to be motivated to do. It's extrinsic. And your identity revolves around whatever's highest on your value. So you feel whatever's highest on your value, you identify yourself by. My highest value is teaching. I am a teacher. If somebody's highest value is pole vaulting, they're a pole vaulter. Your highest value is children raising their mother. They identify ontologically who they are based on what they value most. So, People who are getting to do what they really value on a daily basis, they consider the company theirs. They have a pride in workmanship. It's like they own the company because it's, this is what my identity is. And people that are disengaged, yeah, the company I work for, they talk in third person instead of first person. I was sitting in Toronto and I was at a Park Hyatt hotel and it was a Sunday morning and there was a church across the street. And the night before, there was obviously people on the streets and parties and drunks and stuff. And, and um, there was trash in front of this church. 
from whatever, whoever walked by or threw it out the car, who knows what. And I was just happened to be, you know, getting dressed and looking out the window. And I saw a, a young man, probably a young man, 28, 30, something like that, coming in through the gate into the church. And he walked right by the trash, didn't see the trash, didn't pay attention, just walked in, um, didn't look like he was really an enthused guy. You can tell he was just doing, he's, he's got a job somewhere at the, at the church and he's doing something. One minute later, a woman came by, probably 50, I guess. And she picked up all the trash, literally gathered all the debris in front of the church because she saw this is her church. She didn't want to see that in front of her own church. Grabbed it all and took it down to the street corner and put it in the in the trash and made sure it was presentable and then walked through that same gate. That's the classical difference between somebody who's engaged and pride and workmanship and the other one that's not engaged. And because when you're really inspired by doing it, you go and do it. It's it's like that little extra that makes you win in a, in a horse race, that little, you know, centimeter, because it, it gives you a competitive advantage. And that's why I don't ever want to hire somebody until I've gone through this value determination to make sure that they're going to be engaged. And I guarantee you, I've been doing this all 44 years and I am absolutely certain I can pick somebody out who's going to be productive in that company and who's going to end up being a, an aggravation. You can pick it out in front by the way they in, by that job description. And now that doesn't mean they may not be 75% engaged. And then there's ways you can actually link those additional job duties to their values and get them fully engaged. So I can take somebody that's not engaged and make them engaged, but that takes some effort. And it's just remyelinating the brain and neuroplastically reshaping, you know, the pathways in the brain and how they see these actions are going to help them get their dreams. Cause then they see it on the way, not in the way they don't resist. They assist and they're fluent. And I've done demonstrations of that over and over again. And I can take anybody that is unengaged, make them engaged, or I can just hire somebody, but it's much wiser to hire somebody that's at least 75% engaged. Cause you don't want somebody 20% engaged and then have to put all that work and effort into trying to get them engaged. Better to get somebody that's close and then, Top it, off, top it off with a, a little bit of a refinement on that. Yeah, you, I was just going to ask about that. And I think what I'm thinking about is the people that are listening that are maybe very small businesses or they're startups or they're one-man shows. So if I've – and I like I totally resonate with that because the stuff, the monotonous crap in the business that I did when I started podcasting that I never would have sat still and – like I would sit still – and work for hours on end doing the monotonous stuff that I just never thought I had the ability to do in any other business. And I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. But I was so bought into the overall value. But my question is, if we, when we go into business, we are all of a sudden jack of all trades. We've got limited resources usually to start with until we build the business up and can start to bring staff on. What is our threshold for like, is it just doing the values determination in the beginning to link it all? How much work has to be done to link it and how much is enough? Like, do we need to be 
80 percent do we you know if we're 50 if we feel like we're in the middle of a 50 percent ratio of <laughs> obviously not value, valuing 50 percent of the crap that we have to do can we bring it up to something to make ourselves successful or are we fighting a losing battle world's longest question <laughs> i don't know if we've ever discussed this on the air you tell me did i ever give you my six column how to scale up your business process no okay so if if I've said this before, just tell me, because I don't know if I have. I've, I've been on so many podcasts. I don't know about where I've said it. You definitely haven't said it on this one. Okay. Well, then this is a gold mine. So whoever's listening out there, please sit down and get ready to write. All this right. is a gold mine. I promise you. All right. I was 27 years old. It was 1982. I just opened up my practice. I had one assistant. And I was doing most everything. I didn't know how to delegate. I thought I was the only one that could do it. Even though this assistant I had was very experienced, I still kind of held on to stuff. So I was doing a lot of stuff, everything. I went and bought a book called The Time Trap because I was feeling a bit overwhelmed doing all this stuff. I mean, I went 10 years to college almost for the sake of doing this, all this <laughs> stuff. No. And I got this book called The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie. And I read through that, and I'm a kind of guy that reads the book, summarizes it, really condenses it, gets the essence of it. Anything that's valuable, I'd like to take. And then I decided to create a, take a piece of paper or a series of sheets of paper. And whether this is before, this is when IBM Selectric was around. There was not even a dot matrix computer by Tandy yet. <laughs> so we had sheets <laughs> of paper, okay, and pens. And um, I took a piece of paper and I put five lines vertical down and made six equal space columns. And in the first column, I wrote down every single action step I do in a day. And I didn't think of just one day. I thought of all the possible days over a three month period that I could think of anything I might do during a three month period. Cause sometimes I do things once a week, sometimes once a month. So anything that I might do over a three month period, I wrote it on that sheet. And I didn't write broad, vague generalities like marketing. I wrote down the action steps. What I actually did, answer the phone, fill out this form, do this, every, every detail. And I made a very exhaustive list. This was multiple pages, all in column one. And under the title of column one is daily action steps, daily accountable action steps. After I did that, while I was doing that, I was already feeling I'm majoring in minors and minoring in majors. There's a whole lot of stuff here that's uninspiring that I'm doing that's not the most productive thing. So I was gaining insights just making that list. I'm 27 years old, so you can picture that. I'm going on 68 now. So it's, that's back, you know, 41 years ago. And when I finished that list, I had some insights. I went to the second column. How much does that action produce per hour? And that wasn't easy to determine. I had to extrapolate the best I could because if it was just a sub little component of something, what did I charge for that and take, okay, that's one fifth of that. I would make up this number based on what I thought it was about worth. Because mm -hmm. if you're not producing something per hour, you're not serving some human being. They're not going to want to pay you. So if you're doing something that meets another person's needs and values, they're going to pay you. 
If you're not, there's no business. <laughs> you're not in business. You don't have an income. So this is a measure of the value to the customer, the client. And so I wrote down, what does it produce per hour? And sometimes I would take something that would take two hours and divide it by half. Sometimes I'd take something to take five minutes and multiply it times 12. But I identified it and I put a list down that list all the way down. And there was a whole lot of zeros on there. A whole lot of things I wasn't getting made paid for. Mm-hmm. And that was the majority of it. And I thought, this is nuts. I'm spending a whole lot of time for nothing. No wonder I'm devaluing myself. So when I got through that list, I reprioritized that entire list on the thing that produced the most to the least. A lot of zeros at the bottom. But I was surprised. I spent nearly 10 years of college to be a specialist in the spinal and neurological conditions. But the thing that produced the most per hour was going to a speech and speaking about my expertise and generating clients. Me going out and speaking could bring in five to eight new patients. And that was, in those days, was around $3,000 a case average. So that was fifteen dollars to $18,000 or more, $24,000. I could make $15,000 easily by going and doing a talk because they generate patient base. That's the bread and butter of the business. So here I'm going, my actual clinical work was only $1,500 an hour working with patients. So I'm thinking, I need to be doing that, not this. And I definitely don't need to be doing these things with zeros on it. I'm devaluing my time and devaluing. When you devalue your time, so does the world. So when I made that list, I prioritized that list and I was going, oh boy, I really had an internal conflict because I thought the thing I need to be doing for the business is not what I was trained for. That was number two. And there's a big gap between number one and two on production. Because if I spend an hour doing this, I can, that's like eight hours of doing this, 10 hours of doing this. And I thought, this is way more efficient for me to go out and do that. <clears throat> but that would really cause a turmoil to me because I'm going, well, now I've got a conflict. What I'm trained for to do is not the most productive thing in business. And that was a bit of a shock. I then prioritized that. The third one column is what is the meaning on a one to 10 scale? How much meaning does it have? And if it's really an absolute knocker out of the ballpark, I absolutely love and inspire to do that. It's a 10. If it's going, oh, got to do that. Ugh, hate doing that. One. So I reprioritize that entire list based on 10 to ones. And it just so happened that some of the tens were also the things that produced the most. So I was grateful for that because those are the things I love doing. So I couldn't wait to do that. And if it produced the most, now not all of them, but the main ones were the, the ones I also loved doing. So I was very grateful because when I can't wait to get up in the morning and be of service, people can't wait to get it. And if I can produce the most doing what I love doing, you got the game now in your hand. I then prioritized that based on meeting. And then the next column, I did, how much does it cost for me to hire somebody to do each of those actions? If I hired somebody to do that action, how much would it cost per hour to do that action? An expert who loves doing it, who's grateful for the job, who wants to do that, and is going to do a better job than I do. An A person, not a Z person. And then I looked at the spreads between what it produced versus what it cost. 
Because if I can produce more and it can cost less, I got a bigger spread. I can extract surplus labor value out of their work and get the most return out of other people's activities and provide more jobs. So I'm helping the economy. The more the jobs, the more the multiple factorials of economics and growth of a, of a society. So I could contribute to society in ways, education, taxes, all kinds of things. If I employ people to do those things that I am not inspired to do and that don't produce for me and my, cause I, for 10 years of college, I deserved this at least not $20, $10, $5 an hour jobs, $30 an hour job. So the next column was how much time did I actually spend? How much time? Cause I prioritized that fourth column based on spread. The next one was how much time did I actually spend? And I took, how many times I did it in three months, divided by that by day. And I came out 10 minutes a day, an hour a day, two hours a day, four hours a day, whatever it was. And then the final column was prioritization. My final prioritization factoring all those variables. When I got that done, there was a big relief, clarity, certainty about where I was going and what I was going to do and what I was going to produce. Because if I can go and produce more than the cost of delegation, and I can extract surplus labor value out of them doing it, it's insane for me not to delegate. It does not cost to delegate if it's done properly. If you hire somebody who's engaged in doing what you love to do, and it frees you up to go and do something that produces way more, it never costs to delegate. Now, the average doc that was opening up a practice there did not do what I did. And it took weeks, months, years to scale up their business. But what I did is I then took all of those, that information and divided it into 10 layers and immediately hired the bottom layer, hired somebody to do that, created a job description with all that stuff on it and hired somebody to do that. And in those days, you could get them for 10 bucks an hour, 1982, probably be about 30 to 40 today. No, probably 25, 30 today. But 10 bucks an hour, somebody's taking all that off my plate. So at the end of the day, I'm going to pay him $80 to free me up because that was a whole bunch of hours to free me up to go and make possibly $15,000 more, $20,000 more. So it's like a no-brainer to hire somebody. And I did the next layer. And it took me three people to get that first person because I didn't have my value screening process yet back in those days. I learned how to do that. The second time I hired, the next layer I hired, it took two people. After that, I started getting pretty good at hiring because I, I really saw how important values were 44 years back. And in the process of doing this, I, I, I scaled up and got all 10 layers done. The very final layer is mine, my job, the top one. And in the final layer, by the time I got to that layer, I had five doctors working for me. 12 staff members, and this was 18 months from start to finish. So in oh. one year and a half, I had five doctors working for me, and I prioritized them. We organized the patients, the highest executive levels, the highest social levels, the highest notoriety levels, the leaders in, in ballet, the leaders in sports, the leaders in business and everything else. I took those on, and I was out speaking I then launched my own TV show and radio regular because I was leveraging out with, with things because it was more cost effective for me to go out and share 
and generate business than it was me to do sit in a cubicle and be trapped in a cubicle all day. So I hired doctors to do that. They were grateful for the job opportunities. They were cost. They were grateful for their income and it was still so much cheaper than what I could generate going out. So then I, when I did practice, cause I'm not going to speak all day long, but when I'm out speaking at lunches and dinners or breakfast, whatever I could organize, cause I had a person doing that. Uh, when I came back and I was practicing, I was training doctors, training staff members, and doing the highest end clients. So I did not have, by the end of the 18 months, I did not do anything but speak, train, high end clients. Boom. That's it. I didn't do the inner track. I haven't looked at a bank account, written a check or anything to do with checks. But what the, none of that I've done since 1983. I hired people to do that. I, I Today, I'm pretty useless. I don't, I, I teach, research, and write. You know that. That's all I do. <laughs> teach, research, write. Everything's delegated. I haven't driven a car in 32 years. I have drivers for that. I've got captains for my ship. I've got people that take care of concierge services. I've got everybody's in place. So I can do what I love doing, which creates the most income, serves the most people, reaches the most people in outreach. So if you're not delegating, there's no way you're going to have an inspired business or life. This is such a timely conversation. I was literally having a conversation with someone on my business and, and the need to step up and delegate and how, how um, much it frustrates me that we can as, you know, procrastinate for too long over making the decisions on that when we know that that's the direction and I feel like, you know, I, I feel it, I do it, I know other people that do it in business and it's it's interesting and I know that when I speak to other people, you know, when we speak to other people we have the answers but we get trapped in not following the answers that we know ourselves. Well, that's the key to walking your talk is, is doing it. But the thing is, there's no way I would be able to do what I do today if I had delegated. Yeah. And there's no way a company can scale up as efficiently without experts. Yes. And they have to be greater than you at it. Yeah. I don't do social media. I have people that specialize in social media because the learning curve on me would take years yeah. to get it all, you know, do all that. So I'd rather have an expert that does all those steps to get all those things done than me sit down and do that. My love is to study and read, summarize and synthesize, organize that information and present it. That's what I love. I give everything up to other people. Now, people say, well, I can't afford to do that. No, you can't afford not to. <laughs> yep. Yep. It, it, you know, and I guarantee you, they're, they're, in the time trap, there were a list of excuses why people don't delegate. And I, when I went and read those, I went, oh, my God, that's all, man. That's every one of those is me. And I realized that they were, none of them were true. None were true. But you have to care enough about humanity to truly find people to serve and not make assumptions about what the world needs, but find out what the world's willing to buy and, and articulate your product, service, or idea in such a way that they're ready to buy. So there's a demand for you. And there was a demand for me speaking. 
there still is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That so, leads that that comment there leads right into the next point I was going to raise, and that is looking at from that networking perspective and the establishment of connections and relationships in business, whether that be by way of referral type relationships like we develop in a networking sense or developing business client to business, what part do we need to play in, I guess, bringing the values into that conversation, into the ability, you know, how do they, how does value alignment come into establishing great relationships? Well, nobody's in a relationship with you. Nobody's in relationship with you. Nobody's committed to you unless you're helping them fulfill what they value most. There's a lot of fantasies about there. Oh, commit to me in a marriage. I've been studying that for 40 something years. And there is no such thing. Everybody wants to believe there is. But if your husband right now, if you had a husband was all of a sudden did enough stuff that challenged your values, you'll start thinking this isn't working for me. So that's, that's, you're a value driven individual and you don't want to live in a fantasy. Every relationship is in relationship with the customer. Your spouse is a customer and you're a customer to them. And if you don't provide what the customer needs, they start optioning to go to a different company to buy things. I'm going to use, a, can I use a little funny analogy just yeah. fun for fun? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because people are really kind of idiotic sometimes with relationships. Somehow there's this romantic stuff that's been screwed up people's heads pretty good. But imagine that you've got a, you got, let's say you got a, a woman who's been going to Kohl's, Woolworths for 10 years. She'd been a, a customer going to Woolworths for 10 years. Every week she goes to Woolworths, buying her groceries, buying her stuff, in knickknacks, soap, everything she needs. Suddenly, a Kohl's opens up one block away, a superstore, brand new. And everything she buys is 5% cheaper. And they have a simplified checkout system. It's up to date. And she can call and have things even ready. It's more up to date. So all of a sudden she goes to Kohl's and she goes, okay, cool. I'm going to Kohl's. I save money. It's more efficient. It's right down the street. I don't have to drive as much. I can walk. Um, it, it's done quicker. Checkout's faster, more efficient. Is she committed to World Wars? Not anymore. <laughs> she never was. Every decision a human being makes is based on what they believe will give them the greatest advantage or disadvantage at any moment in time. That includes relationships. Yes. Now, imagine this. This is the fun part. Imagine if the Coles, I mean, no, the Woolworths manager huffed and puffed and came down to her house and knocked on the door. <laughs> and she opened the door. Yes. You betrayed me. You had an affair with Coles. I can't trust you. You're a polygamist, you know, and, and, and slanders her for having an affair with Coles. You'd think the guy's crazy. You'd lock him up. But that's what people do in relationships out of idiocy. Now, if he's smart as a manager and he saw and recognized the lady went to another store He'd go visit that store and make inventory of what they have that's more efficient and effective 
look at what she's been buying, what the prices are, and prepare himself and then knock on the door with something like this. If he thought he might be able to compete with that price or compete with the service, he knock on the door and says, Mrs. Jones, you've been a loyal customer for 10 years. And we noticed you haven't been there. Have we in any way offended you? Is our service not up to standard? Is our is the way we do business? What do, what are we doing that's making you go somewhere else? And he's humble and he's asking questions and he cares and he wants to help the client. He says, if I can keep the prices down and I can have it home delivered for you, if you buy it, you know, fifty dollars or more. And I can home deliver it for you, have it quickly done for you. You can make a telephone call. Could I win your service back? That's smart. Because he's not thinking, dumb client betrayed us. Mm. Having an affair. Oh, that sleazy scuzz bucket coals. Sleazy prostitute. You know, that's that's what people call them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is so relevant to the networking that we do because and we at, at Fresh Networking, we are so prolific in our messaging around building relationships and connections, not so like we one of the the, the lines in our meetings that we say is um if you come here to sell, you will repel. It's like, don't come here and sell me anything. Like we, we building that relationship. But, I, you know, I think that for years when people get into networking, business networking to begin with, a lot of them enter the room and think that my membership is a ticket for that all you learn what I do and give me business. And that, that that we have a moral right to it. I have a, I have a right to your business. If I'm like for a lot of years, I was the print. When I first began, I was the print company in the group. And it was like, I'm the printer. I've paid for a membership. So all of you people, when anyone in your world needs print, it I earn it. And it's just, that's not the case. But unfortunately, when- No, no, I got to share something. If you care about somebody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase what you said about selling. Because selling is caring. But what people confuse is selling is projecting. And that turns people off. Selling does not offend people. It's a demonstration of caring about another individual and trying to help them. But projecting to get business without caring and without real selling and hard pushing is what offends people. If I come up to you and I meet you and I greet you and introduce myself to you and we gain then some rapport by finding things we have in common, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the same town. Oh, my God. When did you? Oh, you went to the same school. Anytime you find similarities in conversation and start to gain rapport, oxytocin and vasopressin go up, which is a bonding compound. Mm -hmm. And encephalons go up because there's now feeling trust. These are trust compounds. If you find similarities, you greet and introduce and you gain rapport and find similarities, you've earned the right to establish needs by asking questions. To sell is never to tell anything. It's asking questions. Just asking, who are you? Tell me about yourself. What, do you, you know, what business are you in? I'm in the printing business. What's that like in today's world with COVID? Oh, it's this and that. What's the biggest challenge you face? Oh, this and this and this. 
now that we're back in business again, what do you, what's the biggest challenge you get? Oh, getting people back to work. And you're a recruitment company or you're a temporary company. You got to ask, navigate questions to establish needs after you've greeted and introduced and established rapport, then you can establish needs. But if you try to bypass that and just go establish needs and fish without greeting and introducing established rapport, they, they're shut off. You never want to skip those steps or they're going to feel pressured instead of loved and cared for. Once you've established at least three to five needs, I call it the three plus or minus two rules, then you have some idea of what their needs are and they're, they're hearing you talk about their needs, not what you can do to solve them yet. Then you establish a confirmation of the needs. You confirm the needs. So let me make sure I heard what you said. You said that you've been in business for eight years. Everything was going pretty smooth. You were scaling up everything else. You hit the COVID, you went flat. And now you're having to, you can't even get people to work for you and you're going to get in lower quality people and you're not, they're not engaged and it's frustrating. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what, did I hear correctly? Oh God, you heard me. And then you go into them and after you've established a need and confirmed a need, you can offer a solution. You can never offer a solution to somebody that hasn't established a need for the solution. And that's the difference between pushing what you think they need and finding out what they need and then meeting that need. That's called caring. That's what real selling is. That's building a relationship, not projecting. And many people confuse this thing called selling. It's got a bad rap because it's not selling. It's projecting assumptions based on how proud you are and how you have can solve all their problems, everything else. That's a turnoff to people. You want to slap them a bit. You have to care enough and humble yourself and ask questions. If you, anytime you tell someone that you're coming from an arrogant position and people want to cut you down, Anytime you're asking, you're coming from a humble position and they want to lift you up. So you ask questions, even in the, the offering of the service. So if there was a way of solving that and helping you be more selective in, this, in the finding of the people to work for you, to save you all the aggravation, and there was a way of doing it with very little time or cost, and it could help you get quality people that would produce for you, would a conversation about that be worth the time spent? Yeah. So you're, you're asking questions and establishing to, to confirm and then offer a solution. Because when they go, yeah, 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 that would be, that would be helpful to me. Then it says, well, I can help that. That's what I do. I'd love to help you. Mm. Now what happens if you establish enough needs you don't get a lot of objections. What people do, the handling of objection is a symptom usually of not establishing a need, not confirming a need, and not offering a solution to meet the need because people feel cared for when you do that. Imagine if a guy comes up to a chick and says, look, I got what you need. <laughs> Punch him in the throat. <laughs> no, you won't hit him. You're not going to punch him in the throat. <laughs> You're going to punch him somewhere else. <laughs> but if he greets and introduces you and establishes rapport and, and establishes needs and things, he, he can earn the right for a, a hug or a kiss someday. You know, he's not, he's not going to get, he's not going to say, look, baby, I got what you need. <laughs> to, to me, caring is selling, true selling. That's real caring. But what's called selling is really a projection 
of people who don't care enough about another individual and don't value enough about another individual. They're thinking about their own company, their own needs, their own financial problems, and they're trying to quickly make a quick fix. And immediate gratification costs business because it doesn't build relationships and it's not long lasting and you destroy the brand. So caring about them and then offering the solution, then if there are any objections, they're usually easy to handle, but you better listen because objections mean you stop. You did not get the questions, the greeting, the introduction, the rapport, the establishing needs and confirming the needs and offering something that matched those needs. That's why there's objections. There's no objections if you care about somebody. There's only objections when they go, I don't trust you. You're projecting onto me, you know, and they're going to they're going to take pride in attacking you back and giving you all kind of crap or they're going to walk away. Then you better deliver. Once you've closed the deal, you better deliver what you said or your brand is destroyed. Then you can ask for referrals. You've earned the right for new referrals once you've delivered the service and they are saying thank you. That's one of the most fulfilling things in the world is saying, having somebody say thank you for what you've done for them. And people who are engaged at work and they love what they do have a higher space and time horizon and they're patient. They're more interested in having a sustainable, fair exchange relationship and transaction, not immediate gratification, <clears throat> narcissistic quick fix. Because mm. that's a sign of amygdala. The amygdala, the amygdala is addicted to pride and quick fixes. The executive center knows long-term vision and sustainable, fair exchange is the key to the game. So, so much value in how you've described all of that, especially that selling I think that was brilliant. Let our listeners know where they can go to grab your values determination and maybe anything else worthwhile that you offer that. Well, my website is drdmartini.com. D-R-D-Martini, D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. And on there, it says value, determine your values. Just go to that, hit that and answer it with integrity. Because if you don't answer with integrity, it's, it's only as is quality as what you put into it. If you put the truth in there, you're going to get the truth back. If you follow that exercise, do it again a week from now. Because most people lie to themselves about what's important to them because they're so used to in fitting into society's expectations, mommies and daddies and preachers and teachers and mores and conventions and traditions. They're so frightened of being rejected by the herd that they're afraid of actually looking what their actual life demonstrates is important to them. So I'm not interested in what they say. I'm interested in what their life demonstrates. And this is a questionnaire that looks carefully, objectively at what your life's demonstrating, not what you fantasize. The average person says, oh, I want to be financially independent. No, their life demonstrates that they buy immediate gratifying consumables that depreciate in value and they're behind on their bills. So what they say is not what I'm interested in on the value determination. It's what their life demonstrates. So it's a very precise set of questions to get past the BS and get into what your body and, and life is demonstrating and do that and do it again a month from now or a week from now. And just do it again until you actually look at that and you go, now my, I can see I'm congruent. My life's demonstrating it. Then go and do your own job. This is a good exercise. Go to your own job and look at your own job description and go and find out how that action, that job description is helping you fulfill what you value and I guarantee if you don't see it, you'll go, uh, hmm, I can't see it. I don't know. And you'll be and you'll look and you'll see it. I constantly have to be motivated to do it. I keep procrastinating, hesitating and frustrating doing. It. I keep putting it off. 
and you'll see why you do what you do. That's why it costs you not to prioritize and delegate. And it costs you because anytime you have something low on your values, if you don't delegate it, you're trapped. You just, uh-huh. you just drained yourself, distracted yourself, put yourself in the amygdala because of unfulfillment and went off to immediate gratification and got your business is going to go down because if you're not grateful for your job, you're not loving what you're doing. You're not inspired by the job. You're not enthusiastically working. You're not present and you're not certain about the knowledge of what you're delivering. You're going to hold your company back. So do the exercise on drdmartini.com. It'll help. You can spend the rest of your life on that that website. <laughs> it's got so much stuff on. It is prolific. Thank you so much for your time again today. I think that it was brilliant. I got a lot out of it and I'm sure that our listeners did too. Thank you for having me on your show again. And whoever's out there, give yourself permission to do something extraordinary in the business world. It's there, yours for the taking. What a human pot of wisdom Dr. John D. Martini is. Uh, I've had quite a few chats with John over the time and he never, ever ceases to bring me massive value and perspective and give me things to take action on and think deeply about. So I'm going to highlight three fresh nuggets as I do at the end of these episodes, three things that stood out to me. Number one is hiring on the values of the person that we are bringing on board. I think that is a massive one. So understanding that when we are building our team, looking at what values drive them and aligning that to their to their to our business, really important one. The second fresh nugget for me was how to scale up your business. Now, as a solopreneur like myself, um, it can be terrifying. It can be really terrifying when you get to a point where you need to delegate or change the way you do things so that you can scale up. We get to that sticking point where it's like, oh, I'm I'm at capacity now. How do I get bigger? So having the advice that John went through. I'll be doing that. I'll be doing that. Hey, and if you're a part of Fresh and you're in the Fresh Facebook group, let me know if you are going to do that too. Maybe we can hold each other accountable. (laughs) Uh, The third one was the reframing around selling. Selling is caring rather than selling being us projecting assumptions on people. And I think that, you know, with our Fresh Networking relationship building ethos, that was a good one. Selling is caring. So how do you look at selling and how do you buy into that sales conversation or slash caring conversation? So there are my three fresh nuggets for today. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. If you do love the show, don't forget to head over to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star rating review. We love you when you do that. We love you a lot. Share it with a friend. Um, and if there's topics that you would like to hear on the show, then please reach out. Reach out to us at Fresh Networking and let us know, and I'll be sure to get them on. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Let's Get Fresh. Don't keep us to yourself. Share the fresh and, of course, subscribe to our podcast so you can keep the fresh goodness coming your way. If we've tantalised your networking taste buds, get along to a fresh event near you. Grab your free guest pass at www.freshnetworking.com.au. Until next time, stay fresh.